What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you can save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. Coming at you from a multi-million dollar broadcasting facility. Uh, we're still going here in lo-fi, actually. Uh, they haven't been able to fix the high-definition sound that we usually broadcast in. It's been a couple of weeks right now. They are working on it, but it hasn't come back yet. So we're still here to do a show for you. It's just not as high quality. Not that this show ever was, right? <laughs> we got a great one for everybody tonight. John Riccio from Tantrum is our guest. Joe Lynn Turner from Sunstorm, Rainbow, and many, many other bands. And Brian Frank from Killer Bee and Rapid Tears. So stick around. It's a great show. Everybody is live tonight. I'm looking forward to talking to each and every guest as we move along. We're going to give uh, Brian a call in about 10 minutes or so because he's in Sweden right now uh, with the rest of Killer B. And it's kind of late over there. There's about a six-hour time difference. So instead of making him wait till 1 o'clock in the morning, we'll get him a little bit earlier. Right there, that was Obsession. We want to wish a happy birthday to Mike Mascara, the singer from that band. I know Mike was doing like one of those GoFundMe or Kickstarter campaigns uh, about a year or two ago. When we had him on the show, trying to raise money for the new Obsession record, but I haven't heard anything about the record at all. I mean, he has his own band going, the Mike Vizcarra Project, and they kind of do a little bit of everything throughout his career. Uh, so uh, it would be great to have some brand new Obsession, and I hope that it happens uh, real soon. It would be even better if he can get most of that original lineup back together from the early days, even just to record maybe that one more record. Such a big fan of those guys. All right, there was only the strong will survive. How about we keep the music flowing here until we get uh, Brian on the air? How about some, uh, let me see here, Clovenhoof. Doing this on Clovenhoof.
I'm not sure what really happened over there. We kind of lost taste of vine. We give life. Man, what a shame. That was a great song. I don't know what happened there, but you know what? We're going to get on something by Rapid Tears. I am going to get Brian on the line right after that, and we'll get the interview going. So sit back and here's, you know what? Yeah, let's do Eve of Rock. You know, we're going to put that in a hole because we got Brian on the line. Brian, can you hear me? I sure can, man. What's happening? What's going on? I can't do the video call because it doesn't support it during the live uh, broadcast. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. I just have to hear my sweet voice. Then. <laughs> I'm glad we can. Hey, we, we were just playing some of your old stuff, some rapid tears, man. But I'm telling you, I'm glad that you decided to do Killer B again. It's, it was a while, and the last couple of records have been Killer. Well, thanks a lot, man. We're happy with it, too. You know, we got a new one coming out in the fall, so hope everybody likes that one, too. Oh, that'd be great. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the band. I mean, it kind of started around 90, in that area. And, you know, hard rock and, and heavy metal was still kind of hot at that time. But as the band went on, the decade started to change, music started to change. Did it affect the band itself musically? Well, you know, um, you're right. It started in 90. It actually started a few years before I met Anders in Toronto. And then I moved to Sweden, make a long story short. Um, but... Um, yeah, I think it changed a little bit of it. We we were doing a lot of European stuff over here, and we get a little discouraged when the music styles are changing and it feels like you know, everything's going off and it's in a different direction. So we, we took a little bit of a break in 98 there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about Sweden, and even over in, in most countries in, in, in Europe, the metal kind of never died, rock never died. It seems like they, they stood more true to it than over here in North America. That's very true. I mean, there's nothing stronger than the, the hard rock scene in Europe. It's, it's, it's always been a go, go, go. That's true. That is very true. So, so really, is that the place that you have to concentrate on if you want to be in the rock business today? Well, you know, um, there's a lot more open-mindedness to it over here in, in Europe. It's more like people accept what you do 
in all genres of music. And I think I think the North American market is great. But as you know, today the radios and I mean you got your your web stuff here. Radios and stuff are all pre-programmed in that. So you're basically relying on what that one guy thinks the masses are going to like. And over here, yeah, they have a lot of the same stuff, but there's there's still a lot more. Uh, I guess it's because the, the, the countries are all split up. There's a lot more countries, so the, the taste can be different from one country to the other, even though it's like a state-to-state state in America. you got country-to-country, country, though, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know exactly what you mean. I always thought that Canada... You know, it was kind of music-friendly, more music-friendly than a lot of countries. So, was that just a myth that we all thought about? No, I think Canada is music-friendly to themselves. They're music-friendly. The problem, I think, if uh, if we're to look at Canada and Canadian musicians themselves, it's always kind of uh, been stuck in the shadow of the American Big Brother thing, and it makes it a little tough for Canadian bands to get out there. Yeah, I can imagine. People themselves are, you know, they're 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 open to it, you know. Yeah. We don't have, I don't know, Canadians, something about the mentality there is a little, it is a little more open, it's a little more European, I, I take it as. Uh, I, I agree. Well, I mean, you, you go back to the 70s when you got started. I mean, music was actually, you know, it, it was a business. You could make a living doing it. You just had to make it, you know, and you can't do it today. It seems so much harder, even though we have so much more technology available to us to get the music out there. It seems like the less we had, the more popular it was, the easier it is, the harder it is. Well, I guess I guess we're getting back to what I just said a few minutes ago. It's just this, this, uh, everything's corporate nowadays, right? We have we have like we said, we got one guy programming for ten thousand stations, maybe or whatever he's programming for. The bottom line is that he's picking what they want. Where in the old days, uh, a DJ put on a record and he thought it was great, he played it. You know, then That's it should true. catch on. Yeah, I mean, we're lucky we got guys like you out there playing what you want to play, and nobody's pulling your strings. I hope. Hey, no. Not not at all. Only my wife, and this is the one thing she doesn't control. <laughs> control. Well, that's okay. It's okay if the wife's pulling the strings. The mama's happy. Everybody's happy. That's right. right. You got that right. Well, listen, like I said, I was glad that you decided to go back with Killer B again and, and, and give it another go around. What brought it back around? Was it the compilation album where people started hearing the stuff again, or just the change in the scene in general? Like I said, we took a break from '98, like for about 15 years there, and after those 15 years, you know, you can get a little bit itchy. So we thought. Uh, we 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 got a kind of got got kind of screwed around in the in the 90s by a management and uh, production company in Europe and they 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 kind of screwed us up as most musicians go through the same story so we won't get into that but anyways we thought that we were given a raw deal and and we thought well let's just set out this compilation and just see if people still uh, still remember or still like it if they want to even hear it if they want to hear it we'll do another record and it turned out that there was people that still remembered still liked still wanted to hear it so we put out new records. And here we are. Yeah. Well, you and Anders are definitely a great songwriting combo. I don't know what it is with you two, but it just seems to work. Is it that way behind the scenes, or is there a lot of head button to get to the point where uh, the music is complete? Hey, man, we've been married for 25 years. Did you tell me a marriage that goes for 25 years that doesn't have <laughs> head banging, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good and bad head banging. No, we get along great. I mean, uh, we, 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 we have our things. Of course we do. I mean, it's a creative process, and... You know, like it's you're not all you're not always buttering the bread on the same side, but it works. Absolutely. Well, the new record, "Killing You Softly," you, you do the ten years after song. Love to change the world. Yep. The hardest thing I, be, I think about covering other bands' music is trying to make it your own, yet making it familiar with people. Say, hey, I remember that song, and you managed to accomplish this. Where it's kind of your song, even though it's not your song. If that makes any sense. It makes total sense. I appreciate you saying that, actually, because it is a hard task. It is a hard one to do. 
and you've accomplished that with this. And I can tell you, I love the videos. You, you make these phenomenal videos, which is rare today because a lot of people don't put much effort into their videos anymore because MTV is kind of, you know, dead and buried these days musically, and it's all on YouTube. But you make that extra effort to make it worth, you know, worthwhile. Well, because we hold, um, we take care of all our production in house. We t- we produce our own records, produce our own videos. Uh, we edit. I edit them myself. You know, I edit the videos. I produce the music. Anders and I we write the music. And and because we do all that stuff, we can afford to put a little bit more time into it. Yeah, you think you guys are gonna make it back to the U.S. with this record? It was great to see you a couple of years ago. Well, we're looking at it. We got some stuff that's in the works for the fall, but let's not, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to say anything until I know it's for sure. You know how it is, you know, so it's easy to squawk your box before you know it's going to step play any music. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I say that we're looking at some stuff for the fall, and I, I'm pretty sure we're coming, well, we are coming back. When I can't really give you an actual date, but we are coming back, absolutely. Oh, that'll be great. You know, even though Killer B, like I said, has been around for like 25 years, when you did start it up again a few years back, you know, a lot changed over those 15 years that, you know, that band was on hiatus. Uh, did it feel like you were starting over again, like with a brand new group? Or was that, or was that like a plus maybe where it was like a fresh start? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a both ways, you know. It's a, we, we have uh, Morgan, drummer who's been with us since uh, 95. So, I mean, you're talking, he's, he's got like 20 years with us there. And that, that, that's good. But, I mean, bringing some new blood into it as well isn't a bad thing, you know. A yeah, lot absolutely. of musicians that we played with, they're off doing their own things now. Some are still playing, some aren't playing. And, and that's all fine and dandy, but it's more like um, we bring a little bit of new blood into it. We still have the, 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 the core is still there. Anders, myself, and now, and now Morgan being involved as well very heavily. It makes it so the band is pretty much what it was, except for a couple of you know, yeah. members here and there. Well, you know, in, in the early days of the band, you were still in Canada, right? Well, not the early days of Killer B, but the early days of Anders and I. Yeah, I, I met Anders in 85, and uh, he just happened to be over there with one of his bands, and they were doing some recording in Toronto, and they didn't have a singer, and somebody called me up and said, hey, you want to sing for this band? I said, ah, I'm not really into it, but okay, I'll come out. And I did, and that's like that was a historic moment for me, basically. After that, we... Um, kept their conversation alive in 87 i came over for a couple of weeks and uh decided in 90 well i'm going to move there so really the start of killer b came around 92 but 90 we had a band called called uh desert rain which did a lot of stuff in uh russia and that and that, and that band kind of disbanded and from that came uh killer b Okay, because yeah, I wasn't sure if you were still in Canada at that point. I was going to say, you know, back then, the technology really wasn't there for members to play together in different countries like today with the file sharing and MP3. So I was going to say it must have been difficult, but I didn't realize you had already made the move. Yeah, I, 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 it, was, it was a decision that was pretty easy to make, you know. It was kind of a funny thing that happened. We called each other pretty much. We both had the phones in our hand at the same day almost. Like We both had made this decision simultaneously across the water that yeah. We call each other and get together, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, I was just going to call you. Yeah, I was just going to call you. Okay, let's do it. We did it. Yeah. Hey, well, if it wasn't for the music, there's nothing better than a Swedish girl anyway. So, I mean, how can you go wrong? Well, I'll agree with that one. <laughs> my wife's listening now. 
<laughs> I hope so. Hey, listen, Brian, I, I remember, you know, first coming into you with Rapid Tears back in the very early 80s, around 82 when Honestly came out, and such a big fan of that band. I mean, it seems like you had everything going at that time, and it was still when the, you know, record companies were king, and, you you know, you could make a deal and, and, and get big, but it just seems like it never clicked for anybody with the band. Like, it just didn't happen. Did it, did it come a point in time where you had to just pack it in and say, enough is enough, we're not going anywhere, or was it more than that? Well, no, it was basically, for me, it was that. It was that. I'm, I, I, I hate to say it, they're probably listening, and I really love the guys, Mike and Tom, and that, that have been trying to keep it alive here. And um, apparently they just signed up a deal with a, a label in Greek that's, gonna, a Greece that's going to uh, re-release the records now. So, so that, that's pretty cool. Uh, Sonic Age Records, I think they're called. Um, anyways, um, now what happened in the, the 80s there? You're talking about record companies being kings. Well, there's kings, princes, and paupers. Our record companies didn't really have the money to make it out there, so unfortunately that probably got a lot to do with why the record never got out where it was supposed to go. I mean, we had a lot of attention. There was a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of, a lot of these fanzines and magazines, you know, these people like yourself that were into it, that were uh, doing their best to, to push that underground market, you know. But uh, just never really kind of clicked. Yeah, and, you know the band. You know the band always got a, got a, kind of got lumped into the heavy metal category. But I never really considered Rapid as a heavy metal band. Did you? I would say it's a it's a yes and no question for me. I'm I myself I'm not a heavy metal singer if I could say that. Yeah. For you. I sing hard rock, and then my influences are they're really a lot of uh, prog, uh, Genesis, Bowie, uh, early early seventies, late sixties music. And so, like the heavy, heavy metal stuff wasn't really my thing. But uh, Mike and Rick uh, in, in Rapids, they were very much into the Sabbath and the Priest and that stuff. So, I mean, that that was their influence. Together, I think it's what made the band sound that maybe wasn't quite as as heavy progressive as a lot of other bands were. Yeah, you know? that that combination of styles, I think, that makes it that way. Well, you know, there was a time when everything was just rock and roll. There was nothing else but rock and roll. And as years went on, we started categorizing everything and subcategorizing everything. And it kind of split up a, a scene that was really healthy and large and kind of broke it down to these little categories. Thanks for that. I agree with you there 100%. It's too bad it ever had to happen. But I guess, you know, like everything else, there's a file folder for everything. That's true. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> bad, but it's the way it is, you know. Yeah. Hey, well, Brian, I'm not going to keep you late because I know it is getting late over there, but the new record, when can we expect it to hit? Uh, the Killing You Softly is out now, and then we have a new record coming out, which will be out in uh, September, and that's called Eye in the Sky. That's a new um, recorded album, and it's, it'll be coming out in, in September called Eye in the Sky. Wow, that's going to be great. And, and what, like I said, being such a big fan, the one thing that I love is that you guys kind of never repeat yourself from album to album. You always take the band in a little different direction. I guess it's based on how you feel when you're writing. It's got a lot to do with that. I mean, there's this last record that we're doing now, it's been, uh, it, it's been marked with uh, a lot of events. I mean, there's been uh, member changes. There's been uh, myself. I had an accident a few years ago, broke some ribs. So, I mean, that's put the record on hold for a couple of years things like that that have happened and, and as the record was be, has progressed over the years it's actually it's, it started in one direction and it ended up in another which we're really happy with so that kind of pause was a great little thing that happened to this newest record Eye in the Sky that's coming but yeah you're right I mean as we're writing and we're going along we're all progressing and well we try to maintain our our, uh, our 
with integrity, I guess you could call it, and, and write the music to the to the best of our ability, we we do want to give something new all the time and not really just be lodged into one style. There are a lot of bands that are progressive and have different things. They, they can go off and do different things. And then there's a lot of bands that are, you know, stuck in that one that one sound. There's a few major, major, major bands that I won't even need to mention their names to people in the sound <laughs> I'm talking about. Yeah, we all do. I think it's important that a band ex- expresses how they feel musically because if you're a fan, you're going to be a fan of that band, not because they sound the same on every record, because you appreciate the music they're writing. And as an artist, why would you want to repeat yourself every record? It would have to get boring. Right, and as a fan, why would you want to hear the same stuff every time either? True, exactly. I agree. I would, I, I would like to think that uh, what I, if I have a favorite, well, my favorite artist, if I listen to what they're playing, I would like to think that they're expressing their day and their life right now. Very true. Very true. And I'm so, glad that you guys I'm are doing, doing that. I hope we're doing that. I hope people understand. Or I hope people are getting that. They absolutely are. Hey, Brian, listen, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. I want to get back to some Killer B music, and I have to finish that Rapid Tear song I was playing before we, uh, we yeah, started talking. Cool. So here I haven't, haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> anyway, Mike, appreciate your time, man. Brian, I can't thank you enough, man. Have a great night over there. You too. All right. Take bye-bye. Care. Yeah, bye. Okay, let me see. I don't think I disconnected us, which is good uh, right here. You know what is? I'm so I apologize. I'm so used to having the old hi-fi uh, definition switchboard here. Everything is different in the lo-fi system right now, so I'm kind of getting used to feeling it out. But I want to thank Brian Frank from Killer Bee for being on here. Let's get on the single of the new Killer Bee. I love the change of the world. Then we'll go back into that rapid tear song, Eve of Rock. Two killer tunes back to back.
man, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Rapid Tears, Eve of Rock. I didn't even know that Rapid Tears were uh, trying to do something with Cult Metal Classics. I'm going to have to reach out to Manos. That sounds pretty cool. It'd be great to hear them again. And right before that, Killer Bee, I love the change of the world. What a great job they did on covering that song, man. They really owned it. All right, and it was great talking to Brian Frank. All right, we have John from Tantra coming up in about a half hour or so, maybe a little bit more than that. We're going to keep the music flowing between now and then while we still have a connection and things are working. Man, I had such a taste for that taste of iron. And I don't know what happened. It got cut off, and I can't figure it out. But we'll play something else. How about some bitch, Damnation Alley?
All right, Death Row of Hell's Ascent. Paul out of Minneapolis wanted to hear that, so there you go. Uh, I wish we would have picked something that wasn't instrumental, Paulie, but hey, whatever you want to hear, I'm here to play for you. All right, let me see. We got about, uh, well, it's actually only 10 to 7. We got about 25 minutes before we talk to John, uh, so uh, we'll keep the music flowing between now and then. Let me see. I was bouncing around some of the news feeds the other day, and, and Blaze Bailey says he wants to do a one-off Iron Maiden show with him, uh, Bruce Dickinson, and, and Paul Diano. Uh, maybe they do one one song each, or maybe like you know, like little mini sets of the band. And I, I guess if you had Blaze Bailey's career at this point in time, you'd want to play with anybody, never mind if it's Iron Maiden or not. I mean, it's funny how all these ex singers are so desperate for the attention that they had gotten when they were like these bigger bands. That like, what fan wants to see Blaze Bailey? I mean, there actually probably is one or two out there, but do you really want to see Blaze performing with Iron Maiden? I mean, I know I don't. I mean, those were my two least favorite records that came out. I was Iron Maiden at the time, and I'm not saying anything bad about it because I love Wolfsbane. I'm a big fan of, of the group, but I don't want to see what Iron Maiden. I definitely don't want to see Paul Diano doing Iron Maiden anymore. Paul Diano can barely function these days, never mind doing Iron Maiden or, or anything else. So, you know, it is what it is. They had their shot at it. It didn't work out. You know, you kind of got to let Sal Grapes be. You know, you can't just keep living off that past glory. It's like Dave Evans still going around promoting himself as an ACDC singer. I think he sang with the band for like six months back in the late 60s, early 70s. And it comes a point in time when you got to let it go and you got to move on. I mean, it's the same thing with the whole Skid Row thing. I mean, I was never a big fan of Skid Row. I mean, I mean, I actually liked them a little bit more now than I did back in the heyday of the 80s when they were at their prime. Uh, you know, like, you know, Sebastian Bach will do anything and anything to get back into that group again. Even though he doesn't admit it, he kind of dances around. He always throws out, I would love to, you know, make it happen because he has nothing going on in his career. Now, Rob uh, Amuso, uh, the drummer, is saying you know, he would love to see it happen again, too. And these are guys that kind of, like, you know, left it behind. All of a sudden, they think there's going to be this big payday. I mean, do they think they're going to get back together and they're going to be headlining arenas like, like you know, like uh, Guns N' Roses are? It's not going to happen for Skid Row. Maybe they'll play, you know, 500-seat arenas instead of 100-seat, uh, 500-seat or 500-seat clubs instead of 100-seat clubs. Skid Row were never that big of a band to begin with. I mean, you know, they were popular back in the 80s, but they're not going to get back together with that line of start headlining major, major arenas. This is just not going to happen. I mean, they're all kind of, you know, looking at it the wrong way, but I guess it is what it is. John Marshall finally got back to Metal Church uh, right before the, the tour took off with the new album. What a great new record that is also. Uh, he had to go in for some surgery, and it kind of knocked him out of the loop, and he wasn't able to perform with the band throughout most of uh, this tour. Uh, he is back with them now. He's out on the West Coast with Armour Saint doing about 10 shows, I believe. So it's good that he finally got back out there. It was a shame because this was like such a triumphant return, you know, for Metal Church. But with Mike Howe back on vocals, putting out a, a, a classic album in a while. I mean, it can hold up to any of the earlier records. And he, you know, wasn't able to perform. But he is back, and that's a good thing I would have to say. So maybe now we'll play something off the latest Metal Church record. Here's Sky Falls In.
All right, Yorn, giving us, I know there's something going on doing that cover. I want to say it was Frida that did that song uh, back in the 80s. Uh, I don't really remember, to be honest with you. Uh, I think, wasn't she in ABBA? I think she was a singer from ABBA, if I remember. I don't know. I really wasn't into that music back then. I'm lying. I love that song back in the 80s. Who am I kidding? All right, that was uh, Yorn. I know there's something going on. Out on Frontier Records. Uh, like, hey, no, we had we just talked about Brian Frank, and he was saying that you know, the guys in Rapid Tears are actually, you know, back together, which I didn't even know, or maybe trying to put it back together. But a uh, cult metal classic is going to release uh, those first two records, the EP and, and the first album. Honestly, it'd be pretty cool to hear those albums remastered again. And uh, you know, Manos always does a pretty good job on his releases. And one of his artists, Tantrum, will be calling the next. John will be calling in in about 15 minutes or so. We'll be talking to him about that album and everything else going on in the world of Tantra from back in the day. And we're going to wrap up tonight's show with Joe Lynn Turner from Rainbow, Deep Purple, Sunstorm, Yingve, Malmsteen, and a million other bands. Joe's a very outspoken guy, and I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say in the short time that we have him because there's a lot of interviews going on tonight. But uh, we'll enjoy it. Hey, but next week, it's Father's Day, but we're doing a show like always. Kenny Powell from Omen will be on the show. Uh, brand new record out called Hammer Damage. The album is like a decade or, or more in the making. Uh, some of us like it, some of us don't, and a lot of my listeners know who we're talking about. Uh, but it'd be fun to talk to Kenny. He was like the third guest I had on the show, I think, back in 2008. So it's been a very long time since we've spoken, and uh, we'll find out what's going on. And I know this week, Fate's Warning is having a press day. Uh, one day this week, and uh, I'm not sure who's going to be doing the interview. Sometimes it's the whole band, and they just randomly give you whoever, but if they are, I'll do one of those interviews, and it'll be pre-recorded. It won't be live. We'll have somebody for Fate's Warning on the show, and I know we have one or two other guests lined up. I'd be lying if I tell you who I knew, <laughs> if I knew who they were, uh, but we'll let you know next week. But we're already getting July in order, and we have a lot of guests already booked for July, so we're looking pretty busy over the course of the summer. You know, internet radio, it, it kind of slows down in June, July, and August because a lot of people are, are out. The weather is beautiful. They're away on vacation, so we don't have as many live listeners as we normally do in the winter months, but uh, most people catch up on the replays later on. So uh, we got a great summer lined up for everybody so far, so stick around with us. I tell you, the other day I was sitting around, it was a Thursday, and there really wasn't much going on. I was like, you know what? I wish I was doing the metal matinee again, because I, I do kind of miss it. It was getting to be too much towards the end, uh, but I'm starting to miss it a little bit now, so I'm thinking about restarting it again. I'll have to see. If not, we definitely are going to keep up with the holiday specials. We'll have our 4th of July one coming up uh, the week after next, and you know, all the major holidays that we like to do are our specials on. We'll keep those going no matter what. All right, let me see what I can do for everybody right now. How about uh, some Raven Bitch and Forza? Let me see what I got here for everybody. Hey, here you go. We'll do some Axion for you, man.
merciful fate. Nuns have no fun. One of my all-time favorite bands. Love those guys. Got to see King Diamond twice, you know, uh, in the last, last two times he came through the New York area on the Mayhem Fest. And uh, when he played at, uh, I forgot what they call it now. The, the club changed his name so many times in Manhattan. I don't even know what they call it right now. But it was the Nikon Theater, Best Buy. I don't know what the name of it is these days. But, man, they sounded phenomenal. And uh, Hank Sherman was saying in a recent interview with uh, with some site that, uh, you know, the possibility of a Merciful Fate reunion is kind of not, you know, impossible. That they're all alive and it might happen. I really hope it does. I know King is working on uh, some new material for a follow-up record. Actually, his first record in a long time. And, you know, King Diamond Band is doing so great right now on their own. I don't know if he's going to want to leave that if they're just establishing after so many years of not performing and playing because he was sick and had health issues. That he's going to want to jump the Merciful Fate. But as a diehard Fate fan, I hope it does happen. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, right now I believe we have John on the line from Tantrum. Let's connect them, get this interview going here. Hey, John, it's Mike. How are you? Mike, what's up, brother? What's happening? I'm doing great, man. How are you today? Really good. Really had a good day. Uh, weather's great here. Uh, just finished playing. Um, just looking forward to talking to you about Tantrum. Ah, oh, man, so am I. Listen, big fan of the band going back to the very early days. I remember catching you guy at Lamore, uh, and just blow <laughs> me away when you played back then. And I'm glad that this album is getting kind of the justice it deserved because it kind of went under the radar back in the yep. day. And I'm glad that people are getting to hear it again. How did it all come about? Uh, basically, I met up with Brian Mangini. I, I had a band before this actually called Mayhem. Uh, most of the material was written with those guys. Then I met up with Brian. Then we hooked up with Nick, the drummer. And uh, then we got Chuck, Chuck Bird, the phenomenal singer. Uh, really aggressive, really badass dude. And it really made Tantrum what it was. Uh, it was that it was that lineup. It was a great lineup. You did have a singer in the band before then, if I remember. John Papa. Uh, yeah, John even... Popper actually. Yeah, he wrote a lot of the earlier stuff. Uh, he had to leave, leave for personal family reasons, but um, Chuck took over right where he left off. And uh, it's, you know, like I said, Chuck was the guy that really, really solidified the whole thing. Yeah. Well, when you look at it, I mean, the band came out around what, like '84, '85, around that time. As Tantrum, uh, I mean. me and Brian got together around '83, and by the time we we got the band tight and we started recording, it was around '84, '85. And it seems like you guys did a lot in the short time that the band was together. And Trenton City Murders, to me, it was a classic album. To me, I thought it was going to be the beginning of a lot more. But it seems like things kind of fell apart not really long after the record came out. Yeah, well, well that we, we went into the studio. We did about seven songs in the studio, and four of them made it to the record deal that John uh, Cariola, uh, John Cordella, uh, actually, uh, Rock Dream Records, picked four songs, so we did an EP. Uh, then, you know, the band was moving on. We opened for Megadeth. We were doing work with Cinderella every Thursday night in uh, the Galaxy in Somerset, New Jersey. And then we decided for some strange, stupid reason to get rid of, oh, I don't want to say get rid of, but to replace Nick, the drummer, with another drummer who, you know, just didn't work out and it kind of destroyed the band. Uh, the morale was bad. Nobody was really happy anymore. And uh, I just had a daughter. I was married. Um, it just got a really a little crazy around that time. I was traveling from New York to South Jersey. I was there pretty much Friday night until Monday afternoon all the time. So that's the reason it really kind of ended. Um, I did put a band together after that, which I played bass and I, I sang the lead vocals. Uh, and that's where the song 9 and 10, The Unseen and Back to the Wall are from. That was another session we did that I, I pretty much took, you know fronted it. And uh, that never took off because I opened a business at the time. And... Uh, that was in 88. That was kind of the end of music. And I was away from it for about 20 years. 
And I got back around 2009. I've been playing every day since. Well, I'm glad that you're out there playing again. Because yeah, when you think about it, you know, 85, 86, I mean, I don't think metal was at its peak back then. I mean, that was about it was as great big as it then. was going to get. And, like, the, the packet, because I really thought this band had the potential to go on. I mean, for a long time, because everything was there. I mean, the image was there. The, you know, yeah, the stage we show was there. The music. You guys had it all going on. It's just, you know, I, you know, I guess it's like, you know, hitting the lottery in the music. It's like a one in a million shot, really, to get the yep. right attention and notice. Yeah, we had a good momentum going. Like I said, we changed drummers and we lost momentum and we lost morale after that. It just wasn't the same. And you don't really replace a drummer and then ask the drummer to come back. Um, and it just, uh, just, just the way it ended, you know. Brian went yeah. on to a good band. He, Brian put a band together called uh, Slaughterhouse, uh, which was a pretty good band. It sounded, you know, a lot like Metallica. Uh, they, they were a pretty good band. And I don't know what the other guys did. I just talked to Chuck. Um, I don't think Chuck did much after that. He did a couple of projects. Um, he, I haven't really spoke to him enough about what we did afterwards because uh, I haven't seen him in 30 years. So actually, next Saturday I'm going to get together with him. We're going to go over everything, you know, with uh, give him all the CDs I got from Manos. Manos from uh, Sonic Age Records is, is an angel. He's uh, he's the greatest guy to to actually just put this thing back together. Yeah, good people. Uh, yeah, yep. I remember uh, Chuck and Nick were actually uh, Master Fury uh, before they hooked yeah. up with uh, you guys in Tantrum. That's where the thrash came from. Uh, those two guys were, they were into like Stormtroopers of Death. They were into really fast pace. They were into Motorhead. I was more, and Brian was more, um, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, the heavier, older, the late 70s, early 80s stuff. But Chuck and Nick brought the thrash to the band, which really was like an injection of adrenaline. It was really good. Yeah. Well, there's some other stuff. I mean, you know, obviously on the new CD, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, stuff that you had recorded separately, some of the old demos, some live cuts. But was there a lot more music that you guys had that you just weren't able to record at the time? Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's actually better recordings someplace. I just don't know who has them. We weren't able to reach Brian. Uh, Brian, uh, we used to rehearse out of Brian's house and Brian had his reel to reel set up there. We did a lot of recording from the house. He's got some really good stuff from us that, um, there's just, there's other songs. There's, there's, there was a bunch of songs. I think we had about 35 songs and we would rotate them each gig we did. And, uh, you know that's that's where it went, but there's there's a lot of songs. Yeah, I would love and to hear those. Towards the end, we day. were getting really, we were getting really thrashy. We were really pushing it uh, because at the time Metallica was was really happening, Megadeth was really happening. All, all you know, the, the the big four were really starting to push that sound, and um, I I didn't listen to those guys back then because I didn't want to be influenced by them. I kept my roots, but like I said, Nick and and Chuck, they were they were the new school at the time. They were younger guys. I was 30. They were, I think Chuck was 19 or 20. And Nick was a young you, guy. You were an old man in the business back then. I, that's why I got out. I felt like at 30 years old, I'm done. You know, here I am. I'm Eddie Van Halen's age. Eddie made it already. Randy was gone. That's the same age I'm at, their ages. And I just felt it was done. And it was either raise a daughter or go on tour because we were that close to go on tour. We just had to persevere a little longer and, and get the band going, even finishing with that drummer. And we, we probably could have did more than we did. But it's just the way it ended. Yeah. I don't yeah, regret it's it. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I, I didn't know what to do with it. having a new, a new baby in the house. Um, you know, it's... Uh, 
there was a lot of turmoil going on around that time. But the band, honestly, Mike, was a great band. Loved playing in it. Every gig, every gig we did was good. Uh, we were really tight, good live act, um, and everybody in the band got along great. Like I said, I don't even know why we replaced Nick, but that's what happened, and it was a big mistake. But, you know, you live and you learn. Absolutely. You know, it is the kind of thing where you have to be able to go all in no matter what. And there are, there's a lot of bad years and a lot of hard years. And I guess, like you said, the older you get and having a kid and, 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 and you know, it, it, that decision kind of comes easy, I guess, where you say, I got priorities now. I just can't jump into a van for nine weeks of the shot. Hopefully we make yeah, 50 bucks. Well, I, I did it up to that point. I sacrificed everything I could. I sacrificed the, the health of my marriage. I, I just sacrificed everything to get to that point. And like I said, at 30, it was all right. I got to do something, either either go on tour and forget about a family life, or I got to put a business together and do what I do best. I do custom pinstriping and lettering. And, and I, I chose to do that to, to get my family to live in a great, great place in New York. We moved back to New York. And um, the rest is kind of history as far as I, I'm concerned, what I did. Uh, I know Chuck's doing good, um, but there's that metal spike still stuck in my ass i still want to play i'm sorry i still want to play man that can't get that spike out it's deep in the cheek (laughs) (laughs) well what better time to maybe revisit tantrum with all this momentum going again right now yeah well i do have some guys in new york that i deal with some younger guys they're all in the late 20s 30s uh if the right opportunity comes along there could be a tantrum too uh, obviously, I, I need to be in it only because I, I think I, I just need to be in it. If I could possibly get Chuck in it, that would be incredible. Because the drummer I got uh, is a powerhouse, and the bass player is, is, is an amazing musician. So it, it could work. Um, the problem I got right now is my business is pretty much consumes all my time. So I, I, it's, it's, I, still, I still don't rule it out. It's still a possibility. That's like you said, great. the momentum is there again. Absolutely, man. You, you know, you got a whole new generation now discovering this this music, and yeah. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. And like today, you know, you get a lot of bands that get back together and they do one-off shows here and there. They plan it, you know, well in advance. They're going over to Europe to do these festivals. They fly in on a Friday. They come home on a Sunday, and you know, it, it's a great thing. And it'd be amazing to see you guys live again in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I didn't know it could be that simple. <laughs> fly us out there and get us back, you know. Uh, that's why I, I got to pursue all avenues of, of how to handle the, if there was to be any kind of reunion or any kind of tour again. Obviously, I'm not going to go out there unless I have a super band. So a super yeah. band means at least a year of really good rehearsals, getting really tight, and uh, and pursuing something. So, I mean, like I said, there is a possibility um, that it could happen. I don't want to promise anybody or, you know, promise myself that I'm going to, but it's uh, – there's always possibilities, and my chops yeah. are just as good as they were in the '80s. I've been playing religiously every day for about two hours. Well, that's and I'm great. writing a bunch no. of new stuff. I got a bunch of new material. Uh, is there a possibility? I know you say you're playing, even if you don't do tantrum, would, would you look to put some other kind of band together? Maybe just do your own thing. Um, there's always the possibility. Like I said, my business really kind of consumes me, and to get to here's the issue to uh, to commit myself to a, a group of guys to tell them that well, I'm going to do this seriously and pursue it, I don't know that I have the capacity to do that because of my business. Yeah. I mean, the reason my 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 I don't want to say my marriage dissolved, but my business consumed me to the point where I had no time for anything. 
Um, the fact that I'm playing again is because I'm not married anymore. So I have the time to just play all the time. And, uh, yeah, I, I would consider something. I mean, I, I, I do like singing and playing. It's, so I, I could fit in any part of uh, a new band if I really wanted to do it. It's yeah. just, uh, it's just a matter it's a of time. time issue. Yeah. Yep, it's a big it's time, time it's issue. A time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not 30 anymore. <laughs> I know. Just you know? that, you thought you, you thought you were older when you were thirty. Don't you wish you were thirty again today? Yeah, I'll tell you what, Mike. Mike, I feel the same way now as I do when I decided at thirty that I was done in the business. I feel yeah. the same way. I should have continued because I, I, another thirty years of playing it would have been amazing. I don't know if I would have still been here, but yeah. thirty years. Uh, I don't regret it, but yeah. you know, things are what they are, and it ended up like it did. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you look back at the time the band did dissolve, you know, around 86 in that time, like I said, metal was at its peak. It was just getting yeah. bigger and bigger over the next couple of years. So it had to be hard back then. But now when you look back on everything, you know, you go back 30 years and say, listen, you know, we probably made the right decision because everything kind of crumbled. Nobody knew that the whole scene was going right. to fall apart yeah, five years, right later, after that. years later. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, we look back it. and they say, I did the right thing probably. But, you know, back then you couldn't see that. No, I, I, like I said, I don't really regret it because I, I've I've done a lot of things since then that I might not have been able to do if I stayed in the band. I mean, I raced my race car for 12 years. Uh, I had a nice life with my family for for 25 years, uh, and business was always good, and business is still good. So um, I'm living the dream. It's it's it, I'm happy. I got 30 guitars. I play all the time. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, yeah, so, I, I really have no complaints. Did you think that Tantrum was like completely forgotten about as years went by? Did you realize that there was still a lot of interest in the band from a lot of people? I didn't know there was interest, but I had bought a, a CD with, uh, with Tantrum and two other bands on it from, from a Greek, somebody in Greece. I don't think it was Manos. I, I bought a CD, and I'm like, somebody's selling this. Somebody's still pushing Tantrum. And then I had, a, uh, I think it was my brother-in-law, went online to look for a Tantrum album, and it was going for like 225 bucks. Yeah. So I'm like, something's up here. Something's still going on with Tantrum. And out of the blue, I get a, a Facebook message from Manos asking me if I was the guitar player from the band. And that's where all of this all came back. And uh, it took a year to put it together. But, um, you know, me and Manos got it together, and it's, I'm happy with it. It's good. He fixed up some of the songs. With, with, there was a few issues with some, uh, you know, some recording issues, but he did a phenomenal job on it. Yeah, it's amazing what they can do today. The technology is incredible yep. how you can fix things up. Yep. I mean, I'm sure like when you recorded the record, you probably thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And as you got all the list, you're like, damn, why did we do that? How come we didn't change this? But yeah, at the moment, well, we, it's yeah. budgeted. We were doing it on an 8-track. And on 8-track tape, in order to, uh, if you made a mistake in a solo, you had to punch it in. Now you just click it, move it, put it somewhere else, and it's yep. fixed. Back then, you had to punch stuff in. You had to bounce tracks. Uh, like, if you, like if you get the, the drum tracks real tight, you bounced the toms with it, and then you just added everything else to it. So you had eight tracks, which usually came into about 16. But uh, that, that was fun. It was a great learning experience. That's, that's how we did it. There was no other way. That's all you knew. That's the way it was back yeah, then. Yeah, that was it. Was no, there was no computers back then. Uh, it was a simpler world. You know, I, I think back in those <laughs> days, I mean, we had such, I mean, people could talk about any, any city or state in this country or anywhere in the world. I don't think anybody had it better than we did here in the New York, New Jersey area. I mean, we had yeah. every band oh, playing here. Killer. Some of the best bands. It was just an amazing scene between all the clubs that we had. Incredible. Oh, absolutely incredible. One of the best times to be playing 
was back in those days. Actually, from the, from like 77 till about 87 was the time to be playing. It was great. Original bands, cover bands, it was just phenomenal. It really was. And you guys got out quite a bit. You did play out quite a lot. We played out at least twice a week, probably for about yeah. for about a year and a half steady. It was, it was uh, probably, yeah, yeah, two times a week. We used, we used to open up for Cinderella every Thursday night at the Galaxy in Somerset. Uh, and all the other gigs, you know, we headlined some of them. We did a show at Trenton City Gardens with Megadeth. We opened for them. That was that was a great eye-opener. And T.T. Um, uh, T. Quick, a bun- bunch of good bands back in the day. I mean, Ingve Mountain would be playing one night uh, in in South River, and we'd be playing the next. It was just, it was just amazing. Yeah, it is incredible how you could do that many shows in a week. I mean, most bands did do that back then. They had that yeah. opportunity. Uh, the amount of cl- and people showed up no matter what. I mean, people always showed up. Yep. Uh, you you could you couldn't a, a big a national act could come through this area today and be lucky to get a hundred people by promoting it nonstop and being a major touring act. Where back then a local band could get that on a Thursday night playing the yes. Battle of the Bands. Absolutely. Yep. What a it was amazing. And we, when I, the cover bands I had, we would do five forty-five minute sets, and that and it's probably like forty songs, and that was amazing, and that was grueling, but that's what we did. That's what the club owners wanted. That's what we got paid for. And that's the other thing. We got paid back in the day. We had represent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys, even with cover bands, had representation. They had agents that booked them. You got, you know, you were in in the in the in the local paper that the, the gigs were coming up, and we got paid. We actually made money. We had roadies. We had, you know, we had sound. We had lighting. It was really an incredible time. It's, I mean, you look at a band say they would be in the same position as Tantrum today. They're paying a club to pay there. Then they have to sell tickets. They wind up losing money. Uh, I know. <laughs> it's, I know. It's, I got friends. Amazing. I got friends actually my age that is still trying to trying to achieve what they want to achieve. And they're pretty much paying to play. But yep. uh, in the long run, I mean, I don't even know what the music business is like anymore. Is, is, is it to the point where you get a record deal and you get pushed big? I don't think it's like that anymore. No, nah, it, it doesn't exist anymore. The major yeah. labels aren't around, and everybody's doing it on their own. I you mean, do you it can buy your recording equipment for a few hundred dollars today, and you got bands producing demos in the bedroom. I mean, you know, yeah. albums in the bedroom and mass producing Yeah, i gotta, I got to learn no, how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, that's what most people do today. They save them. I mean, it still costs money. Obviously, no matter what you do, it's going to cost money. But uh, the support from the labels aren't there. And and if you go back to like when Tantrum got signed, did you guys have management at the time representing you, or were you doing it on your own? Me and Brian pretty much handled all the financial, all, all the uh, you know we did all the spe- all the talk with the lawyers. Uh, we handled everything. Just me and Brian. It was it was a business. We treated it as a business. I have a business background with um, you know working for uh, my father's sign company, and I, I understood you know how to deal with people, how to collect money, how to be presentable, how to do the right thing. So and Brian had a pretty good head on his shoulder too. So we handled all of that. You know we handled all the bookings, and that's another thing you did back in the day as far as management goes. But um, the management does have to have uh, the capacity to talk to uh, an, an agent who's going to book you. You know, you, you got to sound like you know what you're talking about. Sure, absolutely. Well, I, if I remember, the first record was a Rock Dream. Uh, yeah, the company was Rock Dream Records. It was uh, John Cotterelli. He had okay. a record I- store. He had a record store in Trenton. And he came to see us, and he goes, "I want, I want to do, I want to, rec- I want to do an album with you guys. What do you have?" And I said, "Well, we got eight songs that we just recorded, and I believe Brian handled that. He let, uh, uh, John said, let me hear them, 
picked four, decided to do an EP. It was a not a real expensive deal. If you, if you saw the first album cover, you'll know that it was a black album cover with just yeah. a hole in the center with the label showing. And uh, that was kind of unique for the time, but, um, you know, it was what it was. But that was yeah. our deal. Well, he also had Heathen's Rage uh, on that label. You guys were the only two bands that he actually uh, recorded and put albums out by. Yeah, yep. We played with them. Uh, I think that there that was another thing we were going to start doing. They were going to start putting us together and pushing us, the two, of, the two of our bands, to play together. Of course, we did one really, really good gig, and uh, it went over really well. A lot of people. It was actually in a high school. It was a private, um, private you know, gig of our own, and uh, that was really the last gig we did. That was the end of Tantrum after that. And that was really, honestly, in my opinion, the beginning. Yeah. Because yeah. we were super tight, uh, and we were really going over. And for some reason, me and Chuck just drew the girls to the front of the stage. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm telling you, it really was. I'm like, of all guys, me and Chuck, you know, we're drawing girls? But it was really cool. You know, the kids were, the guys were in the front banging their heads. You know, here we are, we're getting this group of girls following us. It was pretty cool. Yeah, because that kind of music, our music like that, really didn't draw the girl crowd at the time. Once, like, the hand metal bands came around, and they started drawing the girls, and then they right. just started getting more and more in the shows, you know, and, and all the bands are kind of, like, you know, prospering from the wealth of that. <laughs> yes, we were not a hair band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get, really, I, get up my, I get a couple of friends that tease me. Uh, they, they say I'm, I'm an 80s-style guitar player. I'm like, oh, what do you mean by that? I don't want to put any of these guys down, but they say, you know, you're like a poison. I'm like, What? No, you, you haven't heard my stuff. You haven't heard my stuff if you think that. Oh God! So hopefully those people, hopefully those people that have thought uh, that I play that way will get this new album and they'll actually hear what I do, and it, it's not hairband '80s uh, silly shit. Oh, absolutely! It never was. It right. never was. But people don't, you know, people that don't follow the scenes, they don't know the difference, and they kind yeah. of lump everybody into it. I mean, look at what he called. I mean, CC Deville. I mean, he, you know, a guitar player from Poison. He was a Brooklyn guy, Brooklyn from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I actually, he's actually a good guitar player. I wouldn't mind he's being compared to him. It's just the image of that band. I don't want to be associated yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guitar I, player. He, he really is. He knows all. You know, he. Know, I'm a guitar player. He knows all his chords. He knows all of his scales. He knows all the different modes. He can play. I really wish he would have done something different back in the day. He's more like a Steve Stevens. Steve, very versatile, yeah. but just in the wrong band. Steve Stevens and Absolutely. Billy Idol was a great mix, but um, C.C. DeVille and Poison, eh, I think he could have did better. Yeah. I, I remember when he was in the band called Lace in Brooklyn. They were like, uh, these are yeah. just like girls, but they were like a heavy band. And then yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Hooking, up with, yeah, hooking up with Poison. Uh, you know, and I feel the same as you, but I'm sure when he's cashing those $100,000 checks. Oh, yeah. That's, you know what? You, you do what you do when the, when the record companies offer you piles of money. When you when you stop counting your money and you start measuring it, that's when you know you do what they tell you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he that's kept so his true. integrity though. He still played good. Oh yeah, he is a good he is a good guitar player, no doubt about yep. it. I have to agree with you on that one over there. But you know, like John, like we were saying, so much going on over the years with the band and the music. And but like when you did pack it in, like I know you said it was time. You knew it was time. But what is it? Was it a hard decision to make, or at that point you just, it was so easy to walk away from it at that time? I was pretty upset that it was over, um, and that's why I continued afterwards. Uh, I, I didn't really want to put a new band 
to do all the old tantrum material and find a singer and, and play guitar. So I, I kept it going for a couple of more years, and the band was called Seizure. And like I said before, I fronted it. I did all the vocals, and I played bass. And I, I put my guitar down for about a year, and I, we had uh, uh, Joey DeBella, the guitar player, um, and um, Tommy Pizzella, the drummer. And then I actually got back to playing guitar, and we were going to find a singer. I just wanted to keep the momentum going because you can't work yeah. without a singer. You can't work without a singer. So I said, you know what, I'm going to sing, and we're going to give this one more shot. And my business really took off, and I just really had no more time for the, uh, for the band, and I was, I was done. Yeah. Well, well pre-Tantrum pre with the Mayhem Band, did you guys have any recordings at that time? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. They'd, but most of it's cassette. It, there was none of it was um, no professional quality stuff, no no studio stuff. It was all decent recorded stuff on cassette. I used to record every rehearsal that we did and every gig. And there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good material. I mean, there's a lot a lot of good stuff to learn if I was to present it to somebody. And that's what I did with with Brian. I presented him older stuff. I said, this is a song, learn it. And at the time, that's what you did. You gave somebody a song, they learned the bass part, and then you jammed it and you played it and, and, you know, you perfected it as as a new team. Absolutely. Well, you know, the Trenton City Murders, a lot of people don't realize, is kind of based on a true story from back in the day. Yeah, there was... um, in Trenton, well, you you know New York, I mean New Jersey. Yeah. Trenton's uh, the capital. Uh, it's, uh, is it the capital? I'm not even sure. Trenton. It's it's a rough neighborhood, and some girl was murdered, and it was all in the newspapers. I mean, actually, if you Google it on YouTube, it actually talks about it. And Chuck wrote about that. That's pretty much what he wrote about, and that's where that song came about. And. Um, I mean, that's what what a lot of our stuff was about at the time. Like the song "Vigilante" was basically about Bernard Getz. Yeah. Uh, the unseen is really uh, not not to be egotistical, but it's about me. <laughs> it, 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 I, I love the song. It's it, it, it's just a great song. It's 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 basically beware of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a great it's that's a great good. song. It's it's one of my favorite songs. And I'm we sorry. never did that with Tantrum. That was a, that was an afterthought. That was a, that was a seizure song. Yeah. Well, you know the new the new re-release of the album. What do you think of the cover? Are you happy with it? Oh, I love all of it. I love all of it. I mean, they just did a phenomenal job, and uh, I'll, I'll get people ask me, "Who's the guy on the cover?" I'm like, "That's me and Chuck." What do you, what do you mean it's you and Chuck? That's me and Chuck. That's what we stood for. We were badasses back in the day, and yeah. we wrote about it, and we sang about it, and we kicked ass metal. We were badass. You know, it was just. Uh, we lived. We lived to do what we did, and you know, I, I tell people now, yeah, I was. I played metal back in the day, and they don't realize that I fought for metal back in the day. It was in my blood. It was in my soul. It's. It's yeah. what we did. We fought to keep it alive. I mean, I went through the disco era. I went through the punk rock era. I went through the grunge era, and I mean, I got a little out of all of them, but just wanted to keep metal alive. The original. Theory, the emit, the original uh, thorn in my ass, spike in my <laughs> ass is Black Sabbath. Yeah. I mean, just you know, where do you go from there? And and after Ozzy left Sabbath, I listened to everything Tony did, including with Tony Martin and um, Glenn Hughes, probably Tony's oh, best yeah. stuff. And that's, that's still still what I like the most. That's what I play the best. That's the style I play. And I like and King Diamond, the, the, between those those two bands and Sabotage. I mean, that's. Uh, that's in my blood. I can't get it out. 
Sabotage, an amazing band. Chris was such a oh, great guitar player. Died so way underrated. Too yeah, yep. so underrated. And John, the, the, the brother, is just phenomenal talent musician. Just incredible. Does it he all. Is. Yep, amazing. And he turned that TSL yep. into a freaking multi-million dollar. Yes, absolutely. I've seen him a bunch story. of times, yep. Yeah, incredible. And I, it's funny because I remember my parents yelling at me as a teenager playing heavy metal, and now they go to see TSO every year when they come around to the garden. I'm like, <laughs> that's great. He's only the same guys that I was listening to back then. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I would try to get my parents to come, but my father's got some hearing issues. He's 85 yeah. years old. But I know he would love it because I actually got him to like music because I worked with him yeah. for 15 years, and I always had something – cranked in the truck going to work and he'd always lower that shit lower it <laughs> then he got to actually like it he goes who's this guy uh ozzy osborne i'm like Oz, <laughs> it's osborne da <laughs> you know just uh funny shit but they they would actually appreciate um tso i know they would yeah it's a whole big show and people love it yeah yep yep <laughs> Listen, John, I, I got Joel and Turner coming on in a few minutes, but I want to awesome. play some songs off the new record, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on there today. Such a big fan, and I'm so happy that people, a new generation, are going to get to hear Tantrum and its yes. finest. I'm happy too, Mike, and I appreciate all your time and effort. Hey, anytime, man. If you get another band together you want to come back on, we'll talk the shit up out of it. Absolutely. All right, all right John, Mike. you take care now. Have a great one, nice brother. Take care. Yeah. Stay well. Bye. All right, let's get on some tantrum. Right after that, we got Joel and Turner coming on. We're going to get on uh, one of the songs that were on the original EP, and then we'll get some one of the unreleased songs that were on a demo tape. Tantrum, Trenkle City Murder is out now on Cult Metal Classics. It's part of Sonic Age. Pick it up if you haven't already. Manos always does a good job on his releases. Here's Call of the Beast. <laughs>
right, there you go. Tantrum War Games, and right before that, Call of the Beast. I want to thank John for calling in and being a part of the show tonight. I hope he can uh, put something back together with Tantrum, man. It would be great to see those guys live. Every 30 years, you know, I like to go see those bands play. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right, Jolene Turner, in about 10 minutes, a little less than 10 minutes, we'll get on one or two more songs before then. Uh, before the interview, I, I was playing Merciful Fate. We were talking about King Diamond, and I was reading on, uh, I don't know, I guess Blabbermouth or Brave Words, uh, that Hank Sherman says that they were out on tour with uh, Volby, who he was playing with at the time, were out on tour during the gigant tour with Megadeth, and Dave uh, refused to let King Diamond perform with Volby. Uh, I, I don't know why. I didn't get to read the entire article. I don't know if because he didn't want that one band and show to stood up, you know, Megadeth show. <laughs> I have no idea why. I think it would have been a cool thing. Uh, I think he was just afraid of, you know, trying to go on stage after King Diamond performing. That's one thing I could think of. Somebody was saying, oh, it's because of the satanic stuff, and I don't think it has anything to do with that. I know he's a born-again Christian, but let's face it, most of those born-again Christians are lunatics anyway. They're worse than the regular ones, so <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think he just didn't want to be stood up at his own festival by King Diamond coming back out and performing with Volbeat. You know, they probably would have did a Merciful Fate song on top of that. But like I said before, I hope that they can put it back together. I would love to see Merciful Fate uh, before my time here on this earth ends. I would love to see them perform again live. And that'd be pretty cool. All right, let's get on. Uh, let's do some Oxen Killer. The King is Dead. We'll go into some Rainbow, maybe. We'll talk to Joel and Turner and then play something off the new Sunstorm record. So here's Oxen Killer.
Hey, Joe, this is Mike. How are you? Hey, Mike. Glad to get you, man. Pretty good. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you today, Joe. Hey, listen, big fan since the very early days of Fandango. I'm so glad that after all these decades, you're still putting out music and good music on top of that. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that compliment. Just trying to keep it in Absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, you've done that with the new Sunstorm record. And I got people like, oh, I'm so glad Joe Lantana has a new record out, some new music out. But I think I can count on one hand how many times over the last couple of decades there's been a year where there wasn't a new record out in one band or another. This is also true. Yeah, there are always uh, sort of down periods and then, you know, fruitful periods. Um, it all depends. Sometimes you take a break and concentrate on personal issues, whatever. Uh, I think everyone has to do that instead of just constantly burning yourself to bits. So um, I think that's pretty pretty true with everyone. Um, if you look back at a lot of people's careers, um, they'll flourish and then there'll be a few years of in between, sort of, uh, shall we say, not stagnation, but rest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what made I mean, you want to go back happen. to? What made you want to go back to Sunstorm right now at this time? Because well, it's been about four years since the last record. Uh, I guess it has been, yeah. Uh, Will Serafino over at uh, Frontiers, uh, I was kind of shocked because I thought we would just do a trilogy and that would be it. You know, I thought that was sufficient. But he convinced me that these records do well and they're always, uh, you know, like I said, integrous and great players. And I said only in this time if we have complete control over the music and complete control over the production. Uh, although Alessandro DeVecchio uh, produced it, we'll, we will give him that credit. But I was very close contact with Alessandro to make this record harder, a bit heavier, um, modern sounding, and yet classic rock. So I think that's what we did. I think we pulled that off very well. You definitely so accomplished I, that. Yeah, you know, it's got a great sound to it, and the songs are killer, and the band is exceptional. Well, you do have a whole new lineup on this record, right? Absolutely. Uh, I might add that they're all Italian players, and I'm just amazed at the abilities on these guys. When I started to listen to the tracks uh, in the studio as it was coming along, I, I was absolutely blown away by their musicianship, their phrasing, um, their understanding of when and where to do what. And uh, I just knew this thing was going to be off the hook once we finished it. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're old school. You come from a place in time where, you know, you hooked up with guys, you formed a band, you were all together, you worked on music together, you rehearsed together, you went out and did everything as a group. Today, it seems like it's not like that anymore for a lot of musicians and a lot of bands. They've got members all over the world. They hook up with different people for projects through the computer. Do you like it better this way than having, like, to deal with a whole bunch of personalities in one room? Well, <laughs> that's a kind of a three-part question. First of all, the, the word is technology, and technology uh, uh, is not always uh, beneficial. Uh, it does work against you sometimes. For example, if you don't have complete professionals, you're not going to get that kind of desired project, uh, uh, the end to the project. In other words, uh, if they're not completely professional, you're, you're, people can't work together uh, from overseas, for example, uh, with, with technical sharing files and things like that. So you have to have the ability first with, with these musicians and, and, uh, and people in general. Uh, so technology can work for you that way. Um, when we get in the band room, and I've done that with Rainbow and Purple, uh, Malmsteen, et cetera, um, and even my own solo bands, uh, there are always too many opinions. 
um, even though you got the Indian chief sitting right here, you know, I listen to the members of the band, and then I say yes and no. I think sometimes that can be a, a dangerous issue. Uh, I remember Blackmore always gave me a lot of leeway and input because he respected it, but I always make sure he nodded his head, yes, that this was going to go down, and he, that he thought that this was right. So you have a lot of different politics going on within that situation. Um, and sometimes I don't think bands can see the forest for the trees. You know, they're involved in it. They're they're in a room. They're all trying to, to play their own uh, instrument and be heard, be recognized, so to, so to speak, to shine. And that can thwart a band effort. So there's a lot of ways to do this. But as experience teaches, you know, it, it's really a blessing when you have everybody who knows their place and knows when to do what and how. And at their best, of course. And everybody gives everyone else a piece, uh, an opportunity to shine. And uh, I think we got that on this record, you know. So there's no better or worse. I think technology has opened up a lot for the younger bands, that's for sure, you know, where they can do records and don't need a record company and so on and so forth. So in that way, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you've managed to make a career and a living out of this. But if you think if you came into the, the business of the music business today, the way it is, do you think you'd be able to survive and make it with the way you, just the whole businesses in general? Well, I got to say, my heart goes out to the young guys because they're really battling against the tide, uh, so to speak. You know, this wave, there's so much, uh, so many people with computers and making music that I think some of the some of the diamonds or the, or the specials ones get inundated underneath all of this. Not to say everybody doesn't have a right to express themselves. But there's an onslaught of it because of technology, and I think not all of it is uh, special. I think there's a quote from a great poet who said, God made many musicians, but not much music. And Mm. I think that's true. I think it's true. I think, you know, by the time you go through 50 bands, you might find one, and there might be a diamond hiding under there somewhere. So it's difficult. It works both ways. I, I agree they should all express themselves and have that opportunity. But I think the onslaught today uh, is just overwhelming. I think the fact that we don't sell CDs anymore, uh, there's no promotion uh, tour, promotion tour support or anything like that, like the old days, I think this really severely hurts the young artist who's really trying their best to do whatever they can. And I... Hello? Hey Mike, I don't know. We had a job. Hey, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, you yeah, you're talking about like the, the younger musicians today. You were saying, oh, we lost you again, Joe. Uh, let's see here. Hey Mike. Unbelievable. Hey, I think we I think we should talk about technology again. Well, that's true. It's it's about <laughs> technology. <laughs> you know, this this technology sometimes works for us and then you get these dropouts uh in mid conversation yeah. or, or an app opens up, you know, unexpectedly because of uh, whatever service you have. And and it's crazy. So I think it goes for you and against you. 
Absolutely. You could talk to a man on the moon, but we can't talk to each other across the Arthur Kill. I, I, I can't yeah. figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Uh, but it, it's amazing. But, but 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 you were saying like you know you feel for these younger people today because you don't know if they can make it. I mean, do you think that music is on the extension list? I mean, we've lost so many things over the years because of technology. But it seems like music has taken the biggest hit compared to like you know movies and and other forms of art or entertainment. That's what music is, and I think it's the most important because it touches you in the soul. I think you're absolutely right. I think music is the, the most accessible and the most powerful form of messaging. In other words, from movies or art you know, painting or what have you. And I think music moves people more in every, all over the globe. Let's put it that way. It doesn't have to be in English. It doesn't have to be in Japanese. People understand the feeling. So that makes it the most important art form. And at the same time, I think um, the industry has killed, has, has sort of shot itself in the foot. I guess they should have kind of went with Napster way back when, and uh, things might have been different today. But uh, I don't believe in guys like Bob Lefset saying that, oh, you know, stop crying about your percentages on Spotify and all of that. I, I, it's easy for him to say because he's not in the music business. You know, he's a writer. So this, this kind of thing really takes a revenue stream away from artists. And I think that's a big, big piece of the revenue stream. Now you have to go live and merch. And that's it. And that's all we have. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, when did you, I mean, you've been doing this for so long, but when did you realize that this was a business more than, you know, when you're young, you want to get in a band, you want to meet girls, you want to get laid, you want to get a record out, you know, want to have a party. When did you realize, you know, that this is actually a business and we can make it or have the chance to make it and make a living out of this and still have fun doing it? When did it become strictly a business for you where you said, hey, I got to do what I have to do to earn a living? Yeah, it's unpleasant that the fact that art has to be a business, but unfortunately it is. You know, it's still the music business accentuate the word business, operative word. Um, I guess that was with the onslaught of the first Rainbow album because through my records with Fandango, it was still that feeling of camaraderie and band and let's go out on the road and do this. And then the big disappointment, both personally and professionally, that happened with that uh, on RCA records, I started to realize a lot of, obviously, the pitfalls of the business. And uh, when I got in Rainbow and we started to play these huge halls and we had incredible success, it really became a business. And I started to learn the art of the business a lot better. Um, it's unfortunate because as an artist at heart, we really don't have the ability to be business-like most of us because we're more creative animals. And it kind of interrupts the electric flow between the, you know, the brain patterns. Uh, but yet, yes, you still have to have to be you know, I mean, let's put it this way. Kiss knew it was a business. Yeah. They respect them for it. They really went after it like a business. Yeah, they wanted to be in a rock band and, you know, party all night and sleep all day, whatever it was. But at the same time, they understood what they were doing. And you'll never find, uh, you know, Gene or, or Paul saying anything different than they knew what they were doing when they created the costumes and the, the, the type of music they were doing. And, and yet, yes, it's music and it's message. But at the same time, it's business, big business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe, I look back at all the bands you've been in and the people you've played with, and I don't know if I feel like, you know, either Joel saying Joel Turner is a saint on earth or you're a glutton for punishment because you've played for so many people out there <laughs> that can really make somebody want to, like, you know, commit murder. <laughs> I've never thought that, like, what did I get myself into when I joined the band? Oh, yeah. I, I think both is probably true. It's great 
way, way you put it, uh, you know, glutton for punishment, you know, a saint to continue on because there are so many disappointing uh, factors in this uh, art and business that uh, sometimes it just rips your heart out. And it's difficult sometimes to go on with such disappointment, but I guess you just have to the, – the feeling and the desire still has to override, you know, what's, what's really happening out there. Although today, you know, um, I was talking to a, comedi- a, a pretty popular comedian friend of mine, and he says, you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're just trying to make a living. And I said, yeah, that's a good way to put it, just trying to make a living. You know, and uh, art is the living, but at the same time, you have to do the business to make the living. I mean, they've even taken a multitude of publishings and, and things like that away from us because most smaller record labels will want an 80-20 deal or a 50-60, you know, 50-50 deal. And it's very difficult because they know they got you by the cojones, you know. And so your your revenue stream for CD sales is gone. Your publishing goes down. So you're beating yourself up on the street, you know, trying to make a living doing live and selling a T-shirt and a hat here and there. And uh, it's uh, it can be very disheartening. But, you know, it's what we do. So we keep on keeping on. And I'm very fortunate and blessed that I can still do that to this day and make relevant integrity music. Yeah. Well, you know, you hear a lot of people I mean, like J.J. Uh, French with Twisted Sister says, you know, any classic artist who's still, you know, writing new music or putting new music out is just kidding themselves because fans don't want to hear it. Now, I'm a fan. I've been a fan for a lot of bands, and I want to hear new music. I, I don't get as an artist how you would not want to create. I mean, that just boggles my mind. Well, I mean, look, uh, and I know J.J. from Twisted said it, but at the same time, didn't um, Joe Perry say it about Aerosmith? He said, you know, what the hell's the point of making a new album when everybody just wants to hear the hits? You know, so, I mean, you, you, you take that. Uh, you know, there's two pretty popular guys that are saying the same thing. So what do they mean by that? I mean, we can take it to mean different things, but at the same time, you it's difficult. It's difficult to know that if you go out there, you start playing new music and it falls on deaf ears. In other words, unless these CDs are promoted, unless this music is really promoted, and, enough, and we don't have much radio today. Come on, let's face it. It's all internet yeah. radio, yourself included. Uh, and it doesn't get out there. Nobody knows that new tune. Nobody understands that. It'd have to really be on YouTube or whatever. So now you've got less than half the audience knowing that song, and the other rest of the audience is screaming for I Surrender or Stone Cold or whatever else, you know, the classics. So you're caught between these two tigers, you know. You're going to be killed either way. And and that's what I think they mean by that. You know, it's like nobody really cares. They want to hear, I'm not going to take it, you know. And, and uh, it's just obvious to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it, like you said, is frustration with, you know, in the business end and the promoting end of it, but, I mean, no different than the 80s and 90s. I waited for the band to put out a new record to hear new music and go to see it live. A lot has changed. I mean, I, I know that. I think we all know that. Yeah, but in the 80s, <laughs> at least you had radio. You know, I mean, you really did. Radio, radio was a really big leg up for music. I mean, here's a new disc, you know, here's a new song, and bam, this thing would go to P1 stations and people all over the country and all over the world would hear this song. So when you played it live, you got a major reaction. Now, uh, how many people, you know, the opportunity uh, for, for us to get that kind of, uh, that kind of reaction out there, how many stations can you gather, especially that reach 1 million people each all over the, you know, that's going to give you that reaction. I mean, I'm what's fortunate. We have guys like yourself, 
you know, keeping this thing alive, and we are very blessed to have you. But at the same time, it's not mass, it's not mass media. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're you're yeah. you're 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 shoveling against the tide too to make uh, to get your your show out there and, and make it more more and more popular with more and more people, and that's as you know, very difficult. Absolutely, it, it, it's rough all around. You, yep. you know, Joe. When I when I one thing I love about you is that you are outspoken. You say what's on your mind. You don't hold back on anything. But does it get you in trouble sometimes? Especially, you sure. must like a PR person's nightmare. Sure, I am. I'm, I'm probably too outspoken. And uh, as you say, you 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 like that about me. But at the same time, it gets you in trouble because there's a lot of excuse me idiots out there who have no opinions except the ones that they've been told. And they don't think for themselves. And I'm a thinker, and I think for myself most of the time. I don't try to follow the herd, and I start to see things as they are. So when I see something, 90% of the time I'll say it, and then they'll turn around and just crucify me for saying it. But then down the line, I usually turn out to be right, but nobody ever comes back up and says, hey, you were right. You know, I yeah. mean, look, I told that, I told regardless of the situation, I told everybody Blackmore is going to rock again, Okay. I didn't know Always how many there. shows or what, but I told them, and they all told me I was delusional and I was crazy and I was just looking for publicity or whatever. And not one person wrote, "Oh yeah, I guess he was right." Not one. So yeah. you figure it out, okay? That's true. And, and to me, I mean, I mean, you've said everything I think you could possibly say in that subject. I'm disappointed as well as most fans are. Uh, sure. But I, I don't consider it rainbow. I don't. I just consider Richie Blackwell playing rock music because to me that's all it is. It's not rainbow. And I don't even know where they came. I mean, originally, that name wasn't even associated with him getting back with these with these shows. And somebody came up with that idea and threw it on there, and all of a sudden it's rainbow. But it's not rainbow. It's not rainbow. No, you're right. And and what it is is a way to sell tickets and to promote something that was uh, was great. And it's reduced now, as I've already outspokenly said, a cover band. And yeah. I have no sour, I have no sour grapes about it. I just am, you know, I'm a little TO'd about the time that I lost trying to negotiate with his manager uh, of, uh, on an authentic rainbow show. In other words, what I wanted was authentic members and like everybody from singers like Graham and Doogie and everybody just, you know, and we'd do a Ronnie tribute and we would do this and it would be a full two hour rainbow show. Uh, possibly like Bob Daisley on bass, you know, Bobby Rondinelli on drums, instead of yeah. these 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 people who he picks from nowhere or from Blackmore's Night, and that's not Rainbow. And I think Doogie said it best. He said it's not Rainbow unless you do an album and a tour. Yeah. And it's really not. You know, so this is advertising. This is the promoters trying to advertise it as Rainbow so they'll sell tickets. Basically, it's a Richie Blackmore fan, and he has the right to do whatever he wants. But it ain't rainbow. Nope. Well, that's that's all it is. Exactly like I say. You hire a couple of guys that aren't going to give you any talk back or lip, and they're just going to go along with the thing because they're thrilled to be there, do the couple of shows, and move on. Where it's nothing, you know, more than that. And that's I guess always looking for at his age and time. I mean, Mike, I'm under a time constraint here. Oh, Joe, I'm sorry. Smitty. Yeah, no, I'm sorry because Smitty set me up with you know kind of a string of uh, of interviews here, and I'm going over time, so I just don't want to, you know. I want to be respectful to all the other guys Absolutely. as well, so I hope you understand that. So if there's a last question or something, maybe we could just wrap it up. Absolutely. When you look back on time, when you're done with this and you're packing in, what's the one thing you're going to be the most proud of? The one thing that you can look back and say, I did that. That was me. I, I think it's really personally simple to just say that I was, I was pretty much true to myself. You know, I didn't sell out, and I could have. 
there's a lot of people who sell out commercially and otherwise. And what I mean by that is, you know, I stay true to who I am. And I think that's the most important life that we can all do, be true to thyself. So that's, Absolutely. that's it. Joe, a pleasure talking to you today. And one quick thing before you go, I think we've got a mutual friend named Artie who worked with you back in the Rainbow days. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> that's far out, <laughs> Small there world. Yep. Really. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, you know, you're, you're right on point, and it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I'd love to do you it. You too, again. Joe. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, buddy.
Sunstorm, a much harder record than some of the previous ones, like Emotional Fire or House of Dreams, or Sunstorm, excuse me there, Edge of Tomorrow out on Frontier Records, that was The Darkness of the Dawn. You know what, we're going to wrap it up here today, I wanted to thank John from Tantrum, Brian Frank from Rapid Tears and Killer Beasts, and Joe Lynn Turner. We had a great show tonight. We'll do one more tune. We'll close it out until next week when we have Kenny Powell of Omen as our guest and a few other ones. I'm just not sure who they are yet. We've had a lot of guests on this year, man. Six months in, and I think we've had, I want to say, over 100 guests so far. We've had a lot. I think we're going to try to slow it down in July if we can, maybe keep it to one guest a week uh, so we have more time to talk to them and not have to rush each guest off to get to the next one and get music on in between. All right, so how about, uh, you know what? I know they were banned for a long time, Medieval Steel, but we're going to play something off their last record. Here's Tyrant Overload. Thank everybody for listening and participating and hanging on. I want to thank Iman and John, like always, for coming into the chat room each week. Chiron, I don't know where you are. Come back home, buddy. Come back home. And all the other people, I apologize. There was problems with the chat tonight. If you want a registered user, uh, they keep booting you out. I can't do nothing about that because I don't control that. But I do apologize. But I know you are all listening on the outside of the player. So thank you very much. Yeah, Eva says Black Knight. Black Knight is on. Uh, I think Black Knight is on the end of the month. The last week we have those guys on with Widow. Chris Bennett from Widow will also be calling in with them. So we got a great month lined up. Two more weeks to go. And we're into July. All right, take care, everybody. Here's Medieval Steel, Tyrant Overload. You must learn its discipline. For no one, no one in this world can you trust. Not men, not women, not beasts.
presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom. Like how you can save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.